0: I gave a uh, speech uh, last week in B'nai Israel, and a number of people said that I should repeat the speech, and uh, and it was basically as a uh, reaction to what had taken place in Israel when our, those three boys were killed. That week in B'nai Israel just so happened the week before, we had celebrated a uh, Afruf, we had celebrated a Bar Mitzvah, and we had celebrated Sheber so it was like a, uh, the heights of happiness, almost like to the depths of despair on Monday. And uh, I began and I said, I feel ill-equipped to talk about what happened two Mondays ago. But at the same time, I feel that I can relate to this loss on a personal level. And at the same time, not talking about it is inappropriate after the kind of emotion of tefilos and achtos that Karl Yisrael poured into our boys as they were known over the last three weeks. What are our feelings, what insights can there be, what lessons can there be learned? It's foolish to speak of this in an authoritative way. The Torah tells us that when Aaron Akkohim lost his two children, on the day which was supposed to be his happiest day of his life, the Torah says, Vayidom Aaron, on a day that turned tragic, he was silent. HaKsav a commentary on the Chumash, points out that the use of the word Vayidom and he was silent is strange. Everyone knows the Hebrew word for quiet is Sheket. Sheket. Yet the Torah picked the word Vayidom. It didn't pick the word Vayashket. Sheket, he says, means that you have something to say but are not saying it. You're withholding something inside you that you could formulate, but you choose not to say it. Vayidom means that he was truly speechless. He had no words. He had nothing to say. It was as if he was just nodding his head back and forth, and that was the way we felt. We had no words to speak. We were at a loss for words when we heard those three Kids, boys were killed. It was an eerie silence that night in Shul. People in Shul came to Shul. Their eyes were very glassy. And we didn't want to meet each other's eyes for fear that perhaps we would start to cry. The silence does not mean nothing is going on inside, it means we cannot articulate our feelings, our emotions and present them into words. When Aaron is silent, it's not because he is not confused, angry, or sad. It's precisely because he is confused, angry, and sad. It's because he is all of these things, he does not know how to express those words. There are no words. If we are feeling a sense of anger at what happened, that is normal, and that is not inappropriate. The initial reaction probably was anger, most notably at our enemies. We want revenge for what took place. It's been two weeks now, and we still have not found the killers, the perpetrators, who killed those three boys. Think about that. We unfortunately had a terrible tragedy happen in our community, whereby somebody killed an Arab child and we found the people who did it. But still to this very day, we do not know who killed those three people. How could they do this to an innocent boys? But at the same time, we know we have no control over that part, and we do not believe in vigilante justice. We may have anger at our government, the American government, maybe even the Israeli government. What can we do? How do we make our voices heard? And again, these are issues that are beyond our control. When somebody suffers, it's important to the sufferer that somebody has their back. So when the Israeli people today are suffering, it's important, even if nothing is really said, but the fact of the matter is that people show up to a rally and it can be reported that people were there, that in itself is also important. As a Jew, we feel angry at the end of the day that no one really does have our back when all is said and done. Ultimately, however, anger is not going to define us. Anger and violence is what defines the other side. We as a Jewish people, we value life, we value peace, we value productivity. Some of us might be feeling a sense of grief for people we've never met. These three boys became our children. They became our boys. It may be the first time social media was used in such a positive way to spread inspiration, photos, updates, a sense of belonging to Qal Yisrael. Many of us may feel a sense of confusion. How did this happen? Where do we go from here? How do we continue? These past few weeks prior to their deaths were incredible inspiration that maybe maybe we finally were getting it right. Jews from all stripes, all denominations coming together under one banner. We were one, we were one. No matter where you davened, what shul you were in, if you were a guest, if you were a member, there was one question which reverberated for those few days. Yesh Chodeshot, any news? Did you hear anything? Any news? Have you heard anything? Even in Times Square, the pictures of the three boys were emblazoned on Times Square. We all thought we got it right this time. We did all the right things, and yet it's very confusing. We cried a lot, and it wasn't crocodile tears. We really meant it. But don't means we have questions, but we have no answers. We have thoughts, but no words. We have random ideas, but we can't compose them into anything coherent. But we do have many, many questions. There are two types of I don't know. There's an I don't know anything. There's an I don't know as a child who is under the aegis of his parents who doesn't understand why he or she needs the shots, why he or she needs stitches, or even chemo. But ultimately, the parent understands that it's better for him. We don't know or understand why any of this has to happen. This will remain an I don't know. And yes, it's very easy to say, have faith. But we have to work very hard to make sure it's an I don't know of despair. It's an I don't know of giving up hope. For once it becomes an I don't know of giving up hope, then the child will have no hope, we will have no hope, and Claudia will have no future. As one of the mothers at the funeral said, rest in peace my child, we will learn to sing again without you. Mm -hmm. The last week when I gave this talk was Parshus Chukas. And Chukas speaks about how we are to deal with death And how are we to deal with dying? And the Torah tells us, from the beginning, from the head, from the get-go, you will not understand. A chok is something that you don't understand. The very Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Salon, says that this sets an example for us in life. Chukas, how we deal with this particular issue, speaks to us with how we confront death. Just as there are chukas ha so also there's chukas ha There's also ways in which we live. There are parts of our life that we cannot fathom. Our intellect has limits, and we come to that realization at some point. Maybe when I was 21 or 22, I realized I won't be the next Einstein or Rav Soloveitchik or Rav Moshe Feinstein. But intellectually, I do have some limits. The chukas ha means we have spiritual limits, we have emotional limits, we have physical limits. We can't always understand life. By Aaron, Rashi says, he was rewarded for his silence. And the Qasav Kabbalah says, why? Because he accepted a bishli shum ira, without accusing any fingers of God. A training I always would tell people that when you point your finger at someone, realize that three fingers point back at you. Aron, his silence was superhuman. His heroism, maybe he was stunned by what happened. But we do have legitimate complaints, and that is normal. We are not we we're not Aron yet. We know Aron was crying boha bakol, he was crying out loud. Until Moshe gave him an explanation, Kadesh, that your children died, Hashem. your children died for the sanctification of God. And that suddenly gave meaning to their death. And that, that, Vayidom, is relative to what he was doing before. Nachmanides, Ramban says, he never stopped crying, but he just cried a little bit lower. He cried in a hushed voice. When given a little context, Aaron will still continue to cry. After all, he's human. Crying is an act of communication. It's sadness without words. It's sadness without speaking. When people die for no other reason than they are Jewish, that is dying, al Hashem. When people die... when people die for no other reason than they are Jewish they are dying all Kiddush Hashem it has nothing to do if you are in the middle of a battle or facing a choice of doing a mitzvah that's also Kiddush Hashem but if someone dies is killed, is murdered for no other reason than they were Yidin and they were Jewish, they died Al Kiddush Hashem. Imagine, if you would, in medieval Europe, if two Jews had kidnapped three Christian children. If two Jews had kidnapped three Christian children and killed them, imagine the pogrom imagine the crusade that would have happened how many Jews would have been murdered in the pogrom imagine the backlash imagine how convulsive this would have been for the Jewish community just look at the blood libels and we didn't even do it and you see what happens this is what the Torah says Bikrovaya Kadesh in, their, in my midst I will sanctify them because they died al Kiddush Hashem that it takes three young men and makes them critical cogs in Jewish history because they are now part of an eternal struggle of Jewish history. That in every generation, somebody gets up and tries to wipe us out. Because when a person becomes a critical cog in Jewish history, they now become a critical part of our Jewish destiny. In Judaism. It's all connected. Every sorrow, every trial, every tribulation we go through impacts our Jewish destiny. In a few weeks from now, we'll be sitting on the floor to mourn a period in Jewish history that happened 1944 years ago, the destruction of the temple. And yes, the number 1944 is the same number that the Holocaust came to an end. 45. Next year. Maybe it's our b'chiyos. that speech for next year. Maybe our bichiyas, Maybe our that these three boys were critical cogs can now shift to a lower crying. But according to the Ramban, going to Nachmanides, even after the screaming, the crying ended, it's okay for a soft whimpering cry to continue. A reality two Mondays ago, like many other realities before this, has changed. We were pre-Holocaust, now we're post-Holocaust. We were pre-9-11, now we're post-9-11. We're before these three boys that got killed, and now we're after three boys that got killed. Deep down inside, we should have to recognize that we have changed. That we are not supposed to be the same. That we need... To be productive we need to be involved in good things and if we do feel the same as if these three boys were never killed maybe we didn't react properly <laughs> the Gemara in tells us that there are two ways that people deal with tragedy the Gemara asks aga a question da aga ish. the person has trauma, has pain in his heart what should he do So it's a machlokis of Rabbi Asi and Rav Ami, and it's a play on words. One person says, yashchena midato, and one person says, yashchena la'acherem. One person says he should uproot it from his mind, and one person says he should tell other people. In psychology, we speak about distractors and attenders that the way people handle grief, some people just put it out of their mind totally, and some people are so involved in it they can't stop thinking about it. It just so happened I was at ShopRite the Tuesday after these three boys were killed, and I was talking to an Israeli there about what took place in Hebrew, and we were both very emotional about what took place. Another Israeli came up to us, saw that we were very, very emotional, and asked us, why isn't Israel in the World Cup? Now, you might think that that's wrong. And I don't think it's wrong. That's the way that person deals with it. It's not a question of denial. It's Yashchen Dato. He takes it out of his head. That's the way he copes with these kind of tragedies. Other people need to talk about it. They cope by speaking about it. They need to read everything about it. They need to hear everything about it. They want to be involved. If it's CNN, if it's MSNBC, if it's BBC, whatever it is, Jerusalem Post, Times of Israel, you name it, they need to read everything there is about it. That's the way they cope. There are five points of, of inspiration. That's the word, or chizuk, reinforcement, I'd like to share with you. And with that, I'll conclude. Number one. While Yisrael, the Jewish people, discovered three sets of heroes that we never knew we had. Families, the parents of our boys, and look how we refer to them, our boys, displayed a certain kind of dignity, an inner reserve that is nothing short of Heroic. The ability to connect, the ability to educate the world, and even the United Nations, and the ability to say things like, whatever the outcome, we will not be broken. When those who are not their parents feel broken, that is truly heroic. We found three sets of people, heroes, who possess an inner co-host, an inner strength, to be such tzaddikim and tzidkaniyos, such righteous people. It gets you thinking, maybe, maybe, Claudia Yisrael has more people like that, with that inner type of strength, that we just never knew existed. Three people, who are randomly chosen by a terrorist, who are randomly chosen by a terrorist, all had these inner strengths when the Thursday night before the children were found killed murdered Rachel Franco said in an interview and I'm quoting I'm praying with all my heart it might help I believe it could help especially when thousands and millions are praying they are But nobody owes me anything. And if tomorrow, God forbid, I'll hear the worst news, I don't want my children to feel where did all my prayers go. Maybe we are doing something right. Maybe we have more heroes than we ever realized or ever imagined. People that have that type of Kedusha in our midst and we somehow... Overlook them. Number two, Mrs. Frankel, Rachel Frankel, who was pretty much a spokesperson for the group, <coughs> described how she felt the embrace of the entire nation. Chol Yisrael everywhere. The Gemara says, attempt Korean Adam, Umot Adam." The nations of the world are called mankind, but the No, excuse me. The Jewish people are (coughs) called mankind, but the nations of the world are not called mankind. And the question is, are they really subhuman? can we really say that the other nations of the world are subhuman? No. Because if we believe they were created in the the image of God, we can't say that. The question is really, how do we begin to understand what the Gemara is speaking about? The Lubliner Rav, what Mayor Shapiro explains, and he was the originator of Dafyomi, he said when Adam was created, he was the only one in the world. That the Jewish people retain that sense of Adam, of being one. When a Jew suffers in Israel, in Belgium, in France, in Turkey, in Mumbai, in Argentina, we feel that pain as if it were our own physical children. No one else in the entire world can make that statement, a feeling of affinity, a feeling of closeness, of Atem Tem and Adam. You are called a man, that oneness. And there's great chizuk in that, that people are with us, that we are not alone, and that we have your back. Number three, tragedy tends to change our perspective and causes us to focus on what's important in life. We're more focused all the more so on the centrality of Israel to our lives, particularly to a Dati Lumi community, a religious nationalistic community. Tragedy helps us to put certain things into focus. And I can tell you from personal experience, before you smashed up the car, you had an accident, you did what? And afterwards, it's only a car, no big deal, we will buy a new one. Number four, these three boys, accomplished more in these last weeks than we could ever hope to accomplish in many lifetimes. Many people have tried to bring Klal Yisrael together the way they did. The greatest Rabbanim, Rabbis, Darshanim, speakers, Rashi Yeshiva, tried to inspire people. Few, if any, did it the way they did. The greatest covet we can give them is to hold on to what they have done in their clothes. How? Look at the similarities between Jewish people and not their differences. Respect people. Understand other people's points of view instead of arguing so you can win. Trying to find the good in others instead of trying to find the bad so we can feel better about ourselves. The after of Abraham Joshua Heschel who lived in the 1800s, he died in 1825, would we'll look in every single portion of the of the Bible, every single portion of the Torah, where there is a reference to Ahav Israel, a reference to love of Israel. And he asked this Hasidim, where in Parshas Balak, which is the portion that we're reading that week in synagogue, where do you find the notion of loving your neighbor as yourself? And he asked all the Hasidim, and all the Hasidim basically had a blank stare. And the Rebbe said to them, if you look at Balak, Be'ez Lamed Kuf, you have the Rosh E Tevos, the initials of, Bi'ahab Talor Yacha And all the Hasidim looked at him and said, Rebbe, Be'ez Lamed Kuf is not Vav Lamed Chaf. How did you get that? And he exploded. He exploded the table. And he said, If all you see is what I'm saying is wrong, And these three letters are causing you to separate yourself from your fellow Jew, then you don't know what Abbas Israel is all about. It's profound comments. All it is that separates us from our fellow Jew is three letters. Just because you think you're right, that's the only thing that separates us and that puts a, a wall between us. And the final point. Especially now. We need to continue to daven. We need to daven for the expressions in the shabbos for their families, and we should never forget to daven for the boys and girls, ha omdim amishmar who stand guard over our holy lands. That they are braver than us, and they are still in harm's way, trying to defend Am Yisrael Eretz Yisrael. In an interview, Bat Galim and Ophir Shar, the parents of Gilad, said the following, I don't have a son now, but all of the soldiers who are looking for the boys are like my child. They found our boys, so not as we wanted to see them, but they brought them home to be buried in Israel. And we should have them for ourselves and to have the capacity to appreciate the bonus Shalom. And I ended with there happened to have been a baby naming that day in shul, and that Wednesday there was a wedding in our shul. And one of the things that we ask for in a wedding is "mahira Yeshama bari yehuda, ubechutah yerushalayim kosimcha simcha kol kol kalah. Speedily it should be heard in the cities of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judea, and the outskirts of Jerusalem. The sound of joy and the sound of happiness, the sound of a bride and the sound of a groom. It's a strange blessing, I mean... And, and really what we're asking for to God is that HaKadosh Baruch we're not asking for a lot. God, are you listening? We're not asking for a lot. We're just asking for the ability to have a wedding. We're just asking for the ability to have a simcha. We're just asking for the ability to be able to dance in the streets. We're asking for the ability to celebrate life. We're asking for the ability to have normalcy. And we shall have the solicit to hear sounds of joy, happiness, pride, and groom, the sounds of normalcy, spilling our days. Amen. Amen. Amen.